Hi, I'm Jelani Blake, and you're listening to Caesar Voices, a podcast series focused on bringing research closer to you. This series is brought to you by the Journal of Caribbean Environmental Sciences and Renewable Energy, or CESAR, which is probably more familiar to most of you. Each episode, we'll hear from some of the leading Caribbean environmental experts who'll be helping us to better understand what's happening in our region. We'll be getting a summary from the people on the front lines, the heroes doing the heavy lifting in terms of searching for solutions to some of our most pressing environmental problems. If you'd like to give suggestions, have your research featured, or sponsor an episode of Caesar Voices, use the links in the accompanying description to learn more. It's almost time for this year's United Nations Climate Change Conference, perhaps better known as the COP25. This year, the COP's being held in Chile, bringing it a bit closer to the Caribbean. Now, the Chileans haven't had much time to prepare. They got the job after a sudden withdrawal by the original host country's newly elected leadership. But they're getting help from halfway across the globe. China has been a key player in the 25th Conference of the Parties of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or COP25, according to Chilean Minister of the Environment, Carolina Schmidt. The Chinese Foreign Minister, Wang Yi, stated on a visit to Chile at the end of July that China will strongly support the South American country at the COP25. Chile has been a strong supporter of changing environmental behavior from the top down. It is one of the only countries in the world that has vastly reduced its plastic bag use, and the government has goals to make the country completely carbon neutral by 2050. China's support for Chile's environmental ambitions will be able to be seen prominently at this year's COP25. The country is contributing 20 electric buses to help with transportation logistics during the event. China is already the main provider of electric buses in the country, which is becoming more aware of the need for clean public transport. As we just heard in that news clip, China's been helping Chile tackle the issue of sustainable transportation, not only at the conference, but in general. It's a great example of collaboration between distant countries. And we wanted to talk about another type of collaboration in this episode, knowledge sharing, particularly between islands across the world. It's the issue at the center of another upcoming global event. Welcome to the first annual Virtual Island Summit. This summit brings together these diverse island communities from around the world to share good practices and showcase innovative case studies and solutions. We'll have insights from politicians, academics, entrepreneurs, and NGO leaders. There will also be opportunities to meet and network with people from and working on islands around the world. Additionally, this will be a zero carbon summit, meaning that everything that we do will be available online from the comfort of your own home or office. We really want to replicate the value of an in-person experience as much as possible to maximize the opportunities that our attendees get from the summit. So that was James Ellsmore inviting us all to attend his free virtual island summit, which takes place in early October. James is the founder of Island Innovation, a consultancy firm focused on sustainable development projects in island communities. A lot of his work involves using ideas from different islands to create solutions, so it felt like a good idea to reach out to him. Why is it so important for islands across the world to share knowledge? I have had the chance to work in the Pacific Islands, the Caribbean Islands, and the Scottish Islands, um, as well as kind of remotely for, for other islands, communities um, around the world. And what I have seen is there's a huge opportunity to share information, because right now there's a lot of reinventing the wheel that goes up. 
even if we look at the Caribbean region, within the Caribbean region, it's quite divided up between the uh, colonial histories and the languages. You know, you have the Dutch islands that kind of do their own thing, the CARICOM countries that work together, the Spanish-speaking islands, and between those groups, there's not a lot of opportunity for exchange. And a lot of that is the cost. I mean, it's it can be as expensive for me to come from my home in England to Jamaica than to get from Jamaica to Barbados. Um, so that's, a, that's obviously a big barrier for information. Um, and then obviously the, the networks as well between kind of different language groups or distant islands. So I think there's a big opportunity there to share information, build those bridges and stop reinventing the wheel. I guess we're not only divided geographically, but culturally and politically as well. And as a result, we have all these resources being spent in different parts of the world trying to solve the same problems. And I mean the same problems. After coming back from working in the Caribbean and, and going to, to Scotland and kind of learning more about the, the issues there, what really struck me was how similar a lot of the issues are, particularly around sustainability, energy, waste management. I mean, uh, electricity is a great example. The Caribbean has such high electricity costs. The average Jamaican pays three or four times more than the average American. If you look to the UK, the parts of the country with the highest levels of, of energy poverty are the Northern Isles and the Western Isles. So there's a big need there to kind of find more efficient um, energy systems uh, for islands. And this applies across the board, things like agriculture, waste management, etc. all of these issues. Um, in very, very different islands, they can be approached in, in similar ways. When you consider all the things we have in common, it seems almost absurd that islands aren't communicating more, especially at a time when we're all practically bombarded by information. What do you think are the biggest challenges that we still face now in terms of knowledge sharing? Or if you want to look at it this way, what are some of the ways in which we can improve that process? Hmm, that's the that's the million dollar question. But um, and and I don't have a have kind of the silver bullet for that um, that that solves all those problems. But I think. Obviously, digital communications, things like I think Cesare does a fantastic job of, of adding to this knowledge sharing information. And I think what you all, you all do particularly well is translating um, the science into accessible language for kind of the general population. I think that's really important because as well as the barriers that I mentioned before between different island groups, there's also the barriers between the different sectors. So you have the private sector, the public sector, including government, um, the NGO sector, which plays a big role in the Caribbean, and then finally academics and, and the university sector. And so those four groups, often in, in the realm of sustainability, they might want the same thing, but they speak very different languages and they operate in very different ways and they don't always communicate as well as they should. And I think for island communities that are obviously smaller, it's particularly important that these different sectors uh, collaborate. So to really get things going, we need to strengthen communication between the different sectors directly concerned with tackling the issues. You could almost think of these sectors as parts. They basically need to be bolted together to build strong communication bridges between our islands, which is probably a good way of describing James's work. I started the Island Innovation Newsletter two years ago, really as a platform to share information between these different islands and to showcase different projects. I think obviously there's a lot of negativity and uh, doom and gloom around the conversations about climate change and sustainability, and that's not to negate the real issues there, but I wanted to also showcase kind of the bright spark 
positive movements um, happening in, in different islands. So it started simply as a, as a newsletter. Um, I write for Forbes as well, so sometimes I'm writing stories um, in Forbes. I mean, w- one particular one that comes to mind is um, I featured uh, 10 Jamaican women working in the sustainability sector um, on some really different projects, which was a good opportunity to showcase things happening in, in the region. So the newsletter kind of grew from there. And um, now, I mean, obviously, Island Innovation is a platform for my own consulting business, but I, I try and do uh, relevant projects uh, with, within that on the state as well. So Island Innovation works to address the barriers between island communities by partnering with all the various sectors and drawing ideas from different islands. And the Virtual Island Summit is the company's way of encouraging island dwellers around the world to make more use of these principles. The Virtual Island Summit was a continuation of the newsletter and the previous projects that I mentioned, simply with the idea of making information accessible. I did think about holding an in-person event, but the obvious difficulty with that is that it would require people to travel. Um, And I mean, one obvious thing there is the the huge amounts of carbon dioxide, people to travel all, all over the world to talk about sustainability. Um, But actually, the main motivation, even more about that, was accessibility. Because these small community groups that might be really interested in working on these sustainability issues, whether it's in Jamaica, Barbados, or the Shetland Islands in Scotland, they don't have the funds to travel halfway across the world or even to the neighboring island to participate in this kind of conference. And so by making everything online... It was a way of increasing accessibility, making sure we have really diverse participation. And I've been amazed at the response of people from all across the world, islands that I hadn't heard of, joining in and saying that they want to kind of represent their island. The summit is more than just a webinar. It's a knowledge-sharing platform that will hopefully bring together far-flung island communities and experts from a variety of backgrounds. Sustainability will be a big issue, but not the only issue. We'll talk about things like journalism for islands, for example, um, and and some more political conversations as well. And we're using a platform that's quite interactive because what I didn't want was for a kind of passive experience where you could just be watching a YouTube video. So we've got a software that allows for attendees to talk to each other, to ask questions, um, and to use that platform. So all of the conversations will be recorded for access afterwards, but I really encourage people to attend live Uh, to be able to maximize the experience of of that event. So how can people register for this? If you visit www.islandinnovation.co forward slash summit, that's the website to register. It's entirely free. We encourage everyone to register. I've had some emails of people saying, oh, is it okay if I register? Absolutely. The idea of this is that it's open to everyone. Um, regardless of your skills and experience, we want to make it an open platform to learn. So encourage people to go up and register. And we've actually already had over 1,000 people register, which is really exciting. We're aiming for 5,000, which is ambitious. But I think if we can have that, mu- that much diversity of, of types of, of people from different backgrounds joining, it will make it a really valuable event for exchanging information. James might be organizing his own summit, but he's also gearing up to attend the COP25, and it won't be his first time. This will be my fourth COP. I've been to several different events, but in terms of COPs themselves, um, this will be the fourth one I've been to. 
Um, and I've been to also one of the kind of mid-year meetings that they have in Germany, um, the six months between the COPs, which is a much smaller event, but just as important in terms of the negotiations. And so for the last three events I attended, I actually went as part of the, the support team for the delegation of the Republic of Seychelles, which is a small island state uh, in the Indian Ocean. The country's population is less than 100,000 people, and obviously, like all small island developing states, and this applies to the Caribbean as well, they have limited resources to send a big team. So while the UK or previously the United States would have sent a team of maybe 100 people, a lot of the smaller island states are sending two, three, four people. And so they often rely on support um, in various forms to make sure that they can have the presence and make sure that they're able to fully participate in the COPs. But obviously this year it's in Chile, which is technically means that this is the Latin America and Caribbean region's turn to host the conference. Unfortunately, Caribbean tends to get left out of that conversation a little bit, which is a shame. But hopefully it will be an opportunity, even though Chile is pretty far from the Caribbean, hopefully there will be some more opportunities for the Caribbean to have a, have a big presence at this one. So since James had some experience with the COP, we asked him to give us a bit of context for this year's event before we let him go. One interesting thing at this upcoming COP is that the host government, which is Chile, has agreed to make this the Blue COP, the Oceans COP. And so they're going to put a heavy emphasis on agreements and discussion um, that will be that will help protect the ocean and the risk that the ocean faces from pollution and climate change. So I think that's very important. Um, one quick thing to add as well is that this COP was actually originally going to be hosted by Brazil and Chile took up the mantle relatively late. Normally countries have a lot more time to organize, but Brazil elected um, a president who, um, I don't know how to put this delicately, but many would describe as uh, far right. And when this election was made public, um, the, the new president announced that he would no longer host the COP. So it will now be hosted by, by Chile instead, um, which has fortunately a much more progressive attitude towards the environment and climate change. Small island states often struggle to be heard when the world gathers to talk about climate change, even though we're the most harshly impacted by its effects. Luckily, there are ways in which we can build stronger connections between our communities, which will need to survive the changing climate conditions. One way is through the Virtual Island Summit. And you can register by visiting islandinnovation.co summit. There's a link in the description. Remember, it's completely free and anyone can join. Well, that's all we have for you on this episode of Caesar Voices. We'd like to thank our guest, James Ellsmore, for taking part. And of course, our listeners for tuning in. I just want to quickly remind our listeners that you can click the link in the accompanying description to visit our website, caesarjournal.org donations, where you can join the monthly donor club. And if you'd like to be an official sponsor of Caesar Voices and feature your company or NGO, please follow the corporate link in the description to learn more.